What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. I hope this podcast finds you well. As my mother used to say to me before every football game I ever played in in my entire life, it is a good day to die. And today surely is that. That is an old Native American war cry to establish the mindset of what this day was going to bring. And um, I've always found it so tremendously profound because any day that you're willing to live in your greatest self, and you're, that is the day that you're willing to die for. Because when you're re- willing to truly live, that's when you surrender to the, the truth that at some point the end will surely come. And if it's today, I'm going to do my fucking best and give it everything I got. So it always fired me up. And I hope you feel that way. On this day, or have had the pleasure, the absolute joy of being able to experience that. Anyway, that being said, I hope you're fired up, ready for an excellent day, ready for a great week. I sure as hell am. This episode of the podcast, it is with one of my great spiritual teachers, mentors, Kirk Westwood. Um, I met Kirk for about four years ago now. And he is truly um, one of my absolute mentors, as I said. And I've learned so much from him. I, I In this episode, I credit him with really putting me on the path that I'm on now. He, he just showed me the way. He, you know, he lit the candle and set me in my direction. And it, it's, it's, I feel very blessed to have Kirk in my life. And uh, he has a lot to offer. He's a master of intuition. In this episode, we discuss his mentor, his teacher, a man named William Whitecloud, who is truly one of the world's foremost masters of intuition and manifestation uh, and mysticism. Um, This episode is a lot of fun. We go into my family background, talk about witchcraft, talk about how to tap into your intuition and uh, it's a lot of fun. It was it was a great time. Uh, so that being said, I'm not going to say too much more about this episode. Before I send you off, if you need your coffee fix, head over to invadercoffee.com. Use code the ebb and flow, all one word, to get 15% off your next order of the best coffee in the world. Beautiful, robust roasts and blends. The fuck shit up blend, the whiskey blend. It's fantastic. It's honestly my favorite coffee I've ever had and I truly look forward to it every morning. So I highly recommend. Lots of love to you guys. Until next time, enjoy this episode and I'll see you on the flip side. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source, the key of imagination, your admission, access to the enlightened dimension, a gateway at the junction of darkness and light, the place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This 
is the ebb and flow. And we're rolling. Hey everyone, it's good to be with you all today. I am sitting here with my brother, my life mentor, the wizard, Kirk Westwood. Welcome to the pod, my brother. <laughs> Mike, great to see you as always. Absolutely, man. It's so it's so good to come down here and hang out with you on a weekend at your bungalow in Venice, the most expensive slum in the world. <laughs> um, man, I... I get I think it's important for people my my audience people who listen to this podcast people who follow me on social media to understand and know that you are really a guy that got me started on this new path in life after football you know you really showed me the way so you're blaming me. I'm blaming you. I'm blaming you. <laughs> I don't know if I'm giving credit or blaming you. But, you know, the thing is, man, this was always, I, I sensed this vibration in myself from the time I was a little kid, and you just showed me how to tap into it and how to access it. You know, and I can't, I mean, it's funny. We always laugh about blaming you for for it. But the truth of the matter is, there is no other way, for me at least, mm -hmm. in this life. You know, and so... Do you remember how we met? Do you remember how the first words I said to you? I can't remember the first words, but I remember the look in your eye. <laughs> Paint the picture for people. Okay, so I came into... So I did a lot of work in the cannabis industry. I started a CBD company. When I came out of the NFL, I did a lot of advocacy work. Um, I spent a lot of time going around speaking at cannabis conferences around the country from Harvard Medical School to UCLA Medical School and everywhere in between. And I met a lot of people. And one guy in particular I met was this guy named Jeff Doiron. And he had a pretty badass, I'm not sure if he's even still doing it anymore, it was an awesome... Um, training supplement that contained THC in it. Mm -hmm. It was great for recovery. It had amino acids and THC, and I, I loved it. And he was working on that at the time with another guy I know. But then he took this job with this company called Quanta, mm -hmm. which is a very... At the time, when I met Jeff, he it, it sounded incredibly interesting. You guys have these machines where you polarize... Any type of molecule that you put into it, which increases the efficacy and the bioavailability and all of these incredible things, tuning the vibrations of these various molecules. And in, in this situation in particular, it had to do with THC and CBD. So Jeff says to me, Eb, why don't you come by the office in Burbank? We'll hang out. I want you to meet the team. I think it would just, you know, just come and just expand your network and, and maybe there's a place for you in this uh, operation. So I go in there and a little bit of context, I was, I was sort of run ragged at the time. I guess this was 2017 or no, maybe 2016, end of 2016, and I was... 
disillusioned with the CBD company I'd started. I was sort of at my wits end with my business partners there. Just we, it had become crystal clear that we were on different paths and different wavelengths about the intention and the purpose of the CBD company and what we were trying to do. And I was exhausted. I was mentally worn out. I didn't really know what I was doing next. I was disillusioned with the cannabis space in general. Things weren't quite working out the way I wanted them to. I had just had this massive come to Jesus in my relationship and my marriage where, you know, my my life's uh, mistakes through my football career were just had just come crashing over me in a tidal wave of shame and guilt and I had to express and make massive amends to my wife and to my family members for things that I had done that I couldn't go on living I really I couldn't go on living this lie of who I was um, when People were looking at me in the eye and I knew that I wasn't being honest with them and I wasn't being honest with myself. So I was in this place where I'd just done that and my marriage was really in a place of having to be reconfigured. And my wife and I, God bless her, we're, you know, she's my Amazon woman and my, my spirit warrior woman. Um, for her sticking with me through this process and us finding our way back to loving each other. So I was in this very dark, heavy place and I go in there and I'm, I'm meeting with Jeff and he's introducing me to all the guys and he introduces me to you and you're just like this wizard looking motherfucker, this fucking, you've got a very elven quality to you your eyes are piercing your hair was fucking slicked you had the you had the um luciferian beard that i that i like to rock and also you were holding a baseball bat right on your shoulder and you're just i turn and i you're looking at me and you're fucking looking through me i'm like who the fuck is this guy and i can't remember exactly what you said in that moment but Jeff goes, let's all go into the conference room and let's sit down and let's just, you know, you could get to know the guys and we could tell you what Quant is all about, etc. I say, okay. And we go in there and we sit down and you look at me and you go, you know, you're from a long line of witches, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it hit me. It hit me like right in the chest. I was like, what the fuck? What are you talking about, dude? But in me, you know, I knew there was so there was I knew you were right. I knew there was so much truth because throughout my life I had sensed that with my mother and my grandmother, my aunt. They're they're very mystical women. There's a there's a very deep lineage in our bloodline of paganist naturalist mysticism, nature worshiping. An understanding of the interconnect, interconnectivity of things, an understanding of the unseen, I guess the best way to put it. And you saying that, it was like a lightning bolt that went through me. 
and that and then i'm sort of like shook and all the guys are like looking around because they they've gotten to know that this is who you are and then i come to find out you're the corporate shaman you're the shaman of the company and i'm like that's fucking cool that's like my dream job you know if i if i had that understanding of that was a possibility in life which you really opened me up to and so next thing i know you're saying eb let's go grab coffee i want to talk to you about some things and let's start there and so we go out to coffee and it was sort of from there it was um what's that saying the rest is history yeah right (laughs) yeah that uh watershed moment that launched you on the path yeah truly yeah, because I remember from my angle, maybe you walked in and you, you, you know, you took up the whole door frame and the sun <laughs> behind you. I'm like, Jesus! I had the baseball bat in my hands. I thought he's a big fucker. I might have to take him down here. I think I need some help. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, it was just obvious when you walked in, and I had literally a voice in my head saying, you know, this is what you, this is what I get as an intuit. I get something about you, and this is what it was specifically. And my spirit was like, do I, I can't tell him that, <laughs> especially not in this business environment with, you know, 12 people around a boardroom table and people I haven't met before. And spirits like, for want of a better term, spirits like, yeah, you've, it serves the highest good. Does it serve the highest good of telling this? Yes, it does. You must. I'm like, ah, shit. So I said, mate, do you know? And you looked at me like, what the, but there was that sense of recognition in you as well. But you did look to the other people after a moment because you took a beat. Yeah. And everybody else in the room that didn't know me was a case of like, what the fuck? Who the yeah. fuck is this guy? What the fuck is he talking about? The people in the know who had worked with before were like, wow, okay, that's some. And I think actually even one of them said to you, dude, you need to you need to listen to it. You guys I, should spend some time together. I think that was Jeff. Right. Jeff said you should definitely spend some time with Kirk. And it was just obvious, mate. And um, I saw it very clearly. So from the next day, just giving you insight into your true nature and your purpose, mm. and it served the highest good uh, to tell you that. Uh, what the audience may not know is the research that you did after that and what you found out. What did you find out the next day? Yeah, so very close to that moment, I get a letter from my grandmother. And in this letter, she sends me all of these documents from our family association. There's My grandmother's last name is Parsons. Her name is Estelle Parsons. And the Parsons family... Is a very old family in America. Um, and so she's part of this organization that keeps the lineage and the information intact. And there's a family historian and all of these. They take it back to the American colonies, the inception of America, way back in the 1600s. These people go back and they have all of these records of who came, how the family tree has um, disseminated throughout the ages and the history of America. And so in these documents, it takes us back to my grandmother says, Eben, I've felt called to share this with you. And mind you, she's never shared this with my mother, my aunt, anyone else in the family. Mm -hmm. I was was the the descendant that she wanted to download all this information to. Hmm. Of course. Interesting, you know. At this time as well. Yes, yes, exactly. And um, she sends me all this information and it's about, she says, Eben, in in these documents, it lays out the story of your direct uh, descendant, Mary Bliss Parsons, who was 
came to America in the mid-1600s with her husband, Cornet Joseph Parsons, from England. She was on trial for witchcraft three times, got off every time, had 11 children. One of them was named Eben, who was killed in a battle with Indians at the age of 21. And all the townsfolk believed that was her karma for her dealings with the devil. There are stories of her going to visit farms, people's farms in the town, and by the time she left, all the cattle would be dead. And there are stories of children dying, and she had feuds with one woman in particular um, in the town who they had a a sort of a lifetime feud. But most of the women believed that she was constantly trying to seduce their husbands. There are stories of Cornet Joseph, her husband, Mary Bliss's husband, having to keep her locked up in the barn at night. And there was all these howling noises that would come out of there at two, three o'clock in the morning. And she was a witch. You know, she was tapped into nature. She was tapped into the unseen forces of the universe. There's a number of books. So then there's about four or five books written about her. And there are all these diaries that she had done. Um, and in the 17th century, yes, yes. And it's all about, and it's all this, this information, you know, it's all about her understanding of nature and the universe and her descendants and talking about the Pleiadian, uh, beings from the Pleiades and how they were her descendants and how, it's just like fascinating shit, you know, and I'm going into all this and not to mention she had this son named Eben, who is I'm named after my grandmother's father, who was named Eben Parsons. So this is a very old name, Eben. Um, and he, you know, so this has transcended the the generations from this this guy, Eben, who was killed in a battle with Indians and they thought it was her karma and. She got off every time. Well, she was a witch. The witches always got off. Well, they, they, they used the real skills. witches. The real right. witches. The real right. witches got off because they used their skills to get off. Yes. The only women who unfortunately drowned or burned at the stake or were the non-witches. Were the non-witches because they didn't have the skills. Yeah. Yeah. That's well documented. Yeah. And her and her husband were tied in with the elite classes. They were very well-to-do people they they established this town in massachusetts springfield massachusetts where the simpsons is shot <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> exactly and uh so that led me into my meeting with you led me into all of that information that download from my grandmother and that has continued to grow even in the last year so this has been you know a few years now so i went on to read every book i could I could find with her and one of my relatives, a guy named D.H. Parsons, who I've reached out to through Facebook, but he seems to be a bit of a hermit living in Kentucky somewhere. He got all of these downloads and wrote a bunch of books about her as well Hmm. that he received directly from her, he says. And they're fascinating books as well, talking about more of this information, just getting really granular in um, Mary Bliss's philosophies, and she she goes into all kinds of shit. Was she known for good stuff as well? Like you talked about the the mythical stuff that people reported that she was supposedly this and supposedly that. And we know that 
people load their stories on top of that. She mm-hmm. killed all the cattle and all the rest of it. Right, that. right. When, what was the good stuff that she did? There's much documentation about that, her impartation of her wisdom, her... Yeah, well, you know, that, I think that came much after um, when these, the, her writings were discovered and people started seeing who she really was and what she was really about. Um, not the myth of this witch. Yeah, not the myth. The stories it goes with Yeah, the, and... Uh, the broomstick stuff. Yeah, and that gets, she lived to be in her 80s. Um, she was... That's a good run back then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, shit, you made it to your twenties. That was a good run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Um, so, but she was very much into taking care of the planet. She, one of the 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 running uh, narratives in all of her work is that if humans do not adjust their behaviors and their actions, we are not going to survive on this planet. And that was a big thing: how we eat, how we think, how we connect to each other how we take care of ourselves, all of it. She said, if we don't adjust how we do things, we're going to cause our own end and we're going to destroy the planet. 300 plus years ago. Right. So, you know, and and this was all, you you know, you think about it, this was all very, this was state of the art uh, thinking cognition back in the 1600s you know people were in a very fear oriented state back then Hmm. so to think that you could live in concert with nature that we were one with the universe back then that was deemed witchcraft you know and whatever practices she was enacting during those times so that and what was so beautiful about getting all of that information and you starting me on this journey of tapping into my lineage, I got to give that information to my mother and my aunt who that's opened up their lives tremendously and just creating context around who they are and what their purpose is here. And, um, you know, part of this journey, and I'm not sure if this was something we talked about, But then psychic readings I had later, and even my mom, who would say, hey, I I met with this psychic the other day, and I showed her your picture, and they said, oh, your son is here to rectify your lineage. And that's been a big part of this, you know, because there has been a lot of darkness around my family with alcoholism, mental health issues, depression, anxiety substance abuse addiction etc and so being able to bring this this information and this knowledge into our family understanding of who we are has been an incredible has brought a ton of peace and relief to us in giving us context around why we are the way we are and how these things have manifested in our in our lives i think that you know how that corresponds directly is you know addiction or the seeking of higher states is really a seeking of god at the end of the day you're seeking out spiritual experiences and you're doing you're you're reaching out for these substances to fill the god-sized hole that you have because you lack an understanding that you already contain that part of you know the universe you contain that that thing already so i have to thank you for that man i have to thank you for that 
Well, you're welcome, mate. It's good to see you took by the bull by the horns and mm. stepped into the unknown, which cause it really was for you at the time. You're like, well, how's this going to work out? And you're saying, well, hang on a tick. What about resort stepping out of this or stepping out of that? What do I step into then? I said, you have to take the leap of faith. Mm. Spirit only shows you one step at a time. Yeah. Intuition only shows you one step at a time. You take that step. And by virtue of taking that step, things change. Yeah. It's like Gandhi. You know, Gandhi had millions of people following him all the way. I'm going to paraphrase the story, but he gets all the way to to the um, the Secretary of State, for want of a better term, to create change. And a million people are parked outside, literally have gone on the walk with him for 100 days. And I'm going to get these details wrong, but along the essence of when he was there, he arrived too late to see them that day. They had to sleep in the street overnight, and he'd go in and see them in the morning. When everybody woke up in the morning, and looked around, and Gandhi's gone. Hmm. I'm like, where, where are you going? He said, I'm walking back home again. I'm taking a 100-day walk home. They said, but we came all this way to do that, and now you're not doing You're not following through. He said, no, we took the steps, and this morning in meditation, I got that the job was done. It's time to turn around and walk back, and that would be far more powerful than if I was to go in there. And who knows what could have happened. It could have been bloodshed if he hadn't mm-hmm. walked in at that time. But now that story lives on and the ripple effect energetically that that had created incredible change on the subcontinent at the time. You only know what comes next. And the truth is only valid in the moment that you ask it. Mm. Yeah. And the key is you act on that. Yeah. You asked me about intuition earlier on. And it really is what serves the highest good. Mm. And it took me a lot of getting it wrong and making mistakes that hurt me and the people that I love because I would ignore what I got. Mm. What serves the highest good? Allow symbolism to be your guide. You get a very obvious answer, just obvious, just a knowing. It's like when I do sessions with people and we sit there and just go, I'm not telling them stuff from my mind or regurgitating shit. I'm literally just saying, well, this is what I get and this is the truth. There's no arguing with it. Sit in a boardroom of executives or a, a team full of athletes or high performance elite specialists and they just go, that's just the truth. Mm. There's, it's a feeling. Yes. It's not a thought. Yeah. It's a feeling. Mm. And what this country wouldn't give for the chance to have leaders who operated from that space. Yeah. Because what you think is only born of your own wound. Mm. Only born of your own experience. We would rather be right than happy. All the time. Thousands of times a day. The only filter you've got is, is this the way I see the world and I see myself in it? Mm. And we'd rather be right about that that I'm not enough, I'm not worthy, I can't trust, don't have the capacity, than actually happy creating what we would love. Mm. Such is the idiocy of, of the way we operate mm. as human beings. And that's the meaning of life. Know thyself. I've cultures hundreds of years and thousands of kilometers apart, and yet that's the consistent thread. When I went searching around the world, that always came down to what inspired me was the consistent thread between them all. Mm. What's the thing that they all say that's exactly the same? And know thyself being the meaning of life, that was something I heard from all of them. And this is what they're talking about. Know your shit. Yeah. Know your stuff you're addicted to proving. I'm powerless, therefore I've got to go after power nonstop. Mm. I mean, there's personalities within the current political climate where the only thing they care about is power. I yeah. guarantee they eat like a pig. They have sex like a pig. They're gluttonous. They're mm. pig-like characters. Harvey Weinstein, pig-like character. They even have the same facial expression. Mm. Interesting, when you understand personality types and start looking at them energetically, you see the same physicalities in people, same way they hold their bodies, the same way this particular personality has the sides of their mouths that drop down. They're always sour. (laughs) They're always sour. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing they care about is power, whatever it takes to get power, have power, get what they want. Why? 
because they're actually very scared. And they were emasculated as little boys or little girls. And they're very scared. And the only way they can deal with that fear is to get power nonstop. Hmm. Hitler was very similar. Napoleon Bonaparte, similar. And they all come to a a horrible, shameful end. Hmm. Because that's the thing they're dedicated to proving that ultimately I'm powerless to be seen a certain way. Hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, that right there, everything you're talking about, you opening me up to that truth. Because I had, and I'm, I'm, as you're talking about this, I'm remembering our earliest conversations and you talk, you beginning to plant this seed of intuition and trusting your intuition because so much of it gets mired in doubt from our shit. The only weapon the ego has is doubt. Right. Yeah. And it comes back in all its ways, shapes or form, but it's only one thing and that's ego. It's like trying to. I talk to creatives doing muse sessions with creatives creating content from something greater than themselves when it comes through them and that is true creativity as opposed to the regurgitation of stuff we're talking earlier about yes. great writers of great works who have a piece come through them and it is game changing but then they try and keep up with that or under the guise that they need to produce more or the book dealers they need to produce two, three, four more books because that's the cash cow mm-hmm. they need to monetize it but the work is never as great. Why? Because it's coming from their experience, not through them. Mm. Great musicians talk about how it came through them. Yeah. Great creators, great artists. There's a blank canvas and there's a tension. I want to put something up there. That tension does not equate to stress. You can if you wanted to. Mm. But if you hold that tension and don't break it by cigarettes or whatever your addiction is or just getting busy doing something else, mm-hmm. you will create. And then eventually you open yourself up to being able to have the creation come through you. That's true creativity. That's genius. Yes. That's your Van Gogh's. That's your princes, if you will. Yeah. And that is a state to to want to be in. Yeah. You know, the scientists talk about how there's f- three, four billion bits of information available at any time to us in front of us. Just If you look at the, just the different shades of green, there's literally hundreds of thousands of different shapes of green in my viewpoint right now. That's why night vision goggles are green. There's more shades of green than any other rest of the spectrum put together. Interesting. Right? So of those 4 billion bits of information, we can't process that. So we limit to, say, about two to 4,000 bits of information that we want to take in. <laughs> From the 4 billion. From the 4 billion. <laughs> but here's the truly disturbing thing, mate. We look for the same 2,000 bits of information every time to validate our position in life. Because we'd rather be right. That's the way the world is and it's safe because I know the way the world is, even though I'm not getting what I want, than actually happy. So you're always looking for that validation that you're not enough or that you're not worthy or whatever your stuff is that don't have the capacity. Mm. That's what you're actually looking for 24-7. That's what your mind... So editing your own work is a great example of that. We are horrible editors of our own work. Why? Because we're only coming from our wound. Does this validate me? Will, this, will I finally be enough when I get this done? Mm. If I win the world championships, will I be enough now? Am I worthy now? If I just do more and more for my boss, will he see that I'm worthy? Because I'm only valued by what I can deliver, perhaps. That's a personality type. So in that, the folly of that, the insanity of that, of being either in the future trying to solve a problem that hasn't even happened yet, or may not happen, or resolving our shit from the past. Yeah takes us out of the truth of being right here right now which is where it's at yeah and that's where genius comes through yeah 
and editing your own work is just a big big folly mm. the amount of stars who have talked about albums they all say I had no idea that that song was going to be the hit mm. I thought it was this one that no one liked mm. that's why of you have course. to give the work to someone else yeah. and they can tell you your job is just to be the conduit as um, um, as a, a great friend of mine and, and great writer talks about how prolific in his writing talks about how there's four phases of creativity and the first one is the madman you have to go into the madman mm. and without going to the madman you're just going to come from your own mind editing it as you go and the only editor you have in your mind is your ego am I validated by what I'm saying or what's going to happen with this I rarely met a world champion that wasn't fucked up mm. because it's their fucked upness that drove them to be the world champion mm. If I do this, if I, d I don't need to sleep, I don't need to do anything else other than be that, and then they get that, and the vacuum after that. <sighs> You've seen it a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, I felt it. Well. I felt it. Getting to the NFL, right? You know, and then fuck, it's brutal. It's brutally painful it's to brutally realize painful. that that wasn't fulfilling the way you hoped it would be, mm -hmm. or the way you thought it would be, or expected it to be. Care for Athletes, and I know your work with Athletes for Care is such a great organization because there's a lot more work to be done with athletes who get to that point or don't make it through the system. Mm -hmm. They dedicate their life to it and through injuries or whatever happenstance, they don't make it. There's, there's work to be done there. Yeah. And every team can improve the dynamic greatly, and that's where I'm starting to focus more and more is on elite sports teams because literally in doing sessions with them within 90 minutes on the field, you can see where the cancer is within an organization. Mm. You may have paid a fortune for the most expensive player in the world, but unless he can operate within the dynamic of that team, mm. he is a cancer. He must be cut away. Give yeah. me one-tenth of that money and I'll get you five kids out of the draft mm. who have a harmony where the sum, of their, the sum of the whole will be greater than the sum of the parts. Yes. And that is what creates a dynasty yeah. of a football team. Yeah. A basketball team, a baseball team, soccer team, whatever it is. Yeah, well... So to get to segue into that, although I have some more things I want to talk to you about, but I, I, I think that this is a good moment to segue into your work with teams. Um, when we first met and you started telling me about the work, your work with Quanta and what your purpose there is, and um, you said, I'm here to set the river of energy. And by setting the river of energy, the cancers eject themselves. And I thought, I thought that was so powerful because you set a tone or a vibration of what the organization, company, system is and vibrates to. And anything that doesn't align with that just won't, it'll, it will kill itself off. It'll remove itself. It just won't be able to hang into, hang on in that grouping yeah absolutely shine the light on thy demons and they shall retreat into the shadows mm. that's the way it works and if i do that with people in sessions i say well this is what's going on for you just the shining of that light has incredible luck mm. for those people and anybody within an organization that i can identify is like well this is what they're dedicated they're dedicated to sabotaging this they don't even know that they're dedicated to sabotaging right. this they deserve the opportunity to work on themselves mm. and so i go in and i work with them and give them a chance to show well this is what's taking place for you and you're not even aware of it and most of them, I have only had one person in 20 years not come back to me and just go, holy shit, 
I had no idea that I was even doing that. Are you kidding me? Because at the time they go, no, no, that's me. That's why I record all the sessions. And I get them to play that back to people that love them. I had a girl come in once and it talked about how she was unlucky in love and she wanted to work on something. This is 10 years ago now. And <laughs> I said, well, I get that every, you have a misbehavior, but it always results in, in your partner striking you on the left side of your face. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? I've never been struck on the left side of my face. And I went, oh, um, well, that's what I get. So and I'm like, very rarely wrong when it comes from symbolism. So anyway, I said, play it back. So she played it back to her sister. And her sister looked at her and said, are you kidding me? Come with me. Look in the mirror. See those scars on the left side of your face? Uh, your ex-husband, uh, your last boyfriend, um, you, Jimmy, what's his name, when we were 12 years old. Uh, Dad, you walking into a door after having a fight with Dad. Are you, can you not process this? And she said, in that moment, my brain literally cracked open and I bawled my eyes out for days. Going, wow. how could I not see what we create? Because that's the ego's job, is uh, to keep the status quo. Because mm. it wants to be right rather than us creating what we would love. Mm. In fact, that's when I stuff, people's stuff really plays up, is when they're going for something that they would love to create. That's why working with teams and seeing uh, professional athletes work towards a common goal, that's easiest for me to see. At the start, they're like, who's this guy? What does he know? Yeah. And then within about six minutes, they're crying in pain <laughs> from stress positions I put them in for showing them how their focus isn't on the end result mm. it focuses on control of their environment, getting what I think I need to be valid, mm. which is horseshit. By the end of it, you got 300 pound linemen with their hands on each other's hearts, crying, saying shit like, I, I don't even like you, man, but I will never let you down ever again. <laughs> and bawling and hugging each other. And that creates a dynamic oh, where you yeah. have. And that's the special forces dynamic. That was the, 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 the joy of the original work that I did after becoming an intuit, working within the special forces community, looking at guys going, what is that luck dynamic? How's mm. that created? Yeah, talk about that, man. Well, it came down to three things, which is... So you worked with the Australian special forces. Yeah, I became enamored with two friends of mine who uh, asked me for some help with a few things, mm. and uh, they were SAS. And in SAS? Yeah, special air service is the equivalent, your Delta model. Okay. You're elite of your elite. You know, it's what you don't hear about. You hear a lot about SEALs. Uh-huh. So tier one operators around the world are your SEALs, your Deltas, your Green Berets, your yeah. Australian Commandos, your Australian SAS, British SAS, New Zealand SAS. They're all on that same level. They're the elites of the elites. They're the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Yeah. You start with hundreds of guys wanting to put their hand up for selection and you end up with about 120 guys in the final phase, like your buds, uh -huh. your SEALs. Uh -huh. But then you end up with maybe a dozen you know, maybe right. 20 guys at the end of that period. Yeah. So Crazy. at 35 years of age, I got invited to, to train up for selection because mm. they were keen to see how I could use my intuition to help them solve problems. Mm. And I got within four days at the end of that, being the last 40 odd guys, and I got stabbed in the eye with a stick that had explosives on it. Fuck. And it ate away the cornea in my left eye because I had... Uh, and I didn't want to get cut, so I stayed out in the field and I had ooze coming out of my eye. And of course, you train so hard for something. Fuck. Because at one point, it was I wanted to be, you know, if I was... Yeah, you're like, I could do it. Yeah. I don't need my left eye. <laughs> and you've invested so much mentally, yeah. physically, emotionally into that. It became about, I want to know if I was, could be the best of the best. Mm. But then at a point, it became about, this is the job. And the job is kill, capture, or destroy. And you need to go and do that job. And that job is... Literally a couple of months away, you finish selection, you'll go into pre-deployment, you'll, and you'll be deployed to Afghanistan. Mm. And it's funny, because the day before, I literally said, um, I choose to serve the highest good. 
So I trust whatever happens will be perfect because the job is I might have to shoot a 12-year-old mm. because he's pointing a weapon at my buddies. And my ethos is I will not let them down. I'll not let my mates down. Look after, you know, get the job done. There's no room for emotion in combat. Look after your mates because that's the only thing that matters. Mm. Whilst I'm facing that way, he's facing that way. He's looking after my back. The worst thing that can happen is something happens to him. And then it's have a good time in that order. Mm. And that's what they're looking for in the best of the best is finding those guys who can compartmentalize. It doesn't mean anything about me. Mm. That ability, you go into bloodshed. And you'll see blokes you know, on the exfil coming out of combat situations covered in blood. And, and they bring themselves down from that high the adrenaline dump, very important, whether it's a mental exercise of a meditation or a mindfulness exercise, or it's a physical exercise like knitting. Oh. Literally, you'll see guys who are the baddest of the bad on the planet. You think gangbangers in California prison are tough? They ain't nothing <laughs> oh, compared to a special forces soldier who is willing to go without sleep, food, or anything for oh, the next yeah. 30 days to get the job done. They're just on a mission. They're machines. But they have that ability to compartmentalize. So you don't get as much PTSD with SF soldiers as you do. Don't get me wrong. It exists. Yeah. But it's their ability to comp. This doesn't mean anything about me. Yeah. But if you're going to do the job, you're going to make the decision before you go because you cannot pause for a moment in the firefight. So back to the storyline. Yeah. That became apparent to me and the guys talking about this is going to be the job. I was like, wow, at some point along the line, it became about being a veteran. It became about doing the job. Saving my mates. Everyone, you know, I think every man has it in them to know if they're a warrior. Mm. To what's it like to, to, to give life, to save life, to take life. To, and I see guys come back from combat and they're in love with each other. Uh -huh. They literally have that look in their eyes. They'll do whatever it takes. It drives their wives crazy. Yeah. Because they have an affinity with their opposite number. Mm. Their team more so than they do with their... Because they've been in life or death situations. Yeah. And for us, the masculine and the women listening to this may be upset with what I'm going to say, but it's the truth. It is akin to childbirth. Oh. A man will never know what it's like to give life, to be at that pivotal moment of giving your all. You are completely and utterly subscribed to the delivery of life at that moment in childbirth. Uh -huh. For the masculine part of us, yearns for that. Yeah. The feminine part of the masculine yearns for that. And in combat is where we get that. We get connectedness. Mm. We get deep love. We get emotion at the highest degree. Giving lives, taking lives. So it's part of the draw, mm. part of the addiction. That's so interesting. And guys say, well, why are you going back to the, why are you going back to the sand pit? You've been seven, you know, seven tours. Yeah. Part of them kind of needs it. Yeah. And just like an athlete, you need that diffusion of yeah. that energy into something else that's greater. And yeah. talked about where Chris Kyle... In his book, um, American Sniper, in the film, alluded to his inability. You know, his heart would race and he would have panic anxiety attacks when things were calm. Right. Like you and I are talking right now. Yeah. When he was in combat situations, shit going down, life and death, he was as calm as a cucumber. Calm yeah. as a coma, mate. Yeah. <laughs> calm as a coma. Um, it's so interesting. It's right. that warrior, warrior. Aspect. Yeah, is it spelt with an A or an O? Right. Right? <laughs> and so that is the... I, I digress, of course, from our initial conversation talking about how I got into what I got into. No, that's all really good, man. It's a, that's important information to set the, the context for the work you did. And that, that, to me, I've read books and I've listened to Navy SEALs in particular talk about 
how they used tools like meditation and mindfulness. And I always thought that was, that was so next level because you have to have that. You have to have that. You to can't be that operate. elite level. Right. If you make a mistake on teams, you get a pat on the, a pat on the ass. It's okay, mate. She'll be right. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Mistake's a mistake. You make it twice. Mates come up to you and say, what's wrong? Mm. How can I help? How can we work this out? You make it three times, you're off teams. Right. Until you sort that shit out. That's the only way it can work. Yeah. You're 100% in the moment. You're not solving a problem that's already that's ahead of you or, or resolving your shit from the past. They are very present. And that's what selection is actually set up to find is those guys who already have that inbuilt. Because mm-hmm. kind of you can train it to a level. And that's why we came up with the luck bubble, which was uh, how do you create that luck dynamic where guys get shot through the webbing of their clothing they don't get hit they drive IEDs they don't go off Mm. they go to enter a compound in which is could be mass collateral damage and their target is outside with none of his 20 bodyguards around him on a sat phone talking to his mistress Mm. and guys looking at each other going well okay (laughs) they just put a bag on his head put him in the helo and they get him out without a shot being fired it's because they're present Mm. And the, the plan is only as good as when the first round goes down range. And then it all goes to shit. You just come back to getting the job done. What is the job? It has to be the same for athletes. Mm, yeah. What is my job? I just yep. fucked up. My past. God damn it. Yep. Huh? You shake it. It doesn't mean anything about me. Come back to it. But if you're consistently in the pocket, then that needs to be looked at. Hmm, what's going on there? And you're off teams until you get a chance to come back again. And that's the way it rolls. If it works for the toughest motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it can work for an athlete, a corporation, a poet, yeah, a painter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it goes back to what you said about all of the ancient traditions around the world. They all come back to this thing of knowing thyself and coming back to living in the present moment. And like you were saying... That's where the genius comes through. That's where genius is allowed to come through because you're not in your shit. Right. You're not either figuring out or having panic over the mistakes you made yesterday or thinking about or being in fear about the things that are going to happen tomorrow that have no basis in reality yet. And you're just in that, in the flow of the moment. And you're just taking it one step at a time. It makes you open to the universe to just come in. And give you that divine genius to express whatever it is that needs to be expressed in that moment. For me, listening to you talk about it, and this is what all the spiritual gurus are getting at as well. Osho and uh, Alan Watts and Ram Dass, they're all getting at this too. But for me as a football player, my career went to shit when I lost my ability to just be in the moment. And I started getting, I started losing confidence because of the play where I got my ass kicked just before. And I let that carry into this play. And then that made me think about the next play. And am I going to get fucked up again in the next play? 
And my whole career went to fuck. I, I couldn't play anymore. The downward spiral. I see that a lot with athletes. Exactly and, what you're saying. And you can't talk about this stuff. You have to give the athletes a visceral experience about how that's taking place. At that moment, that's taking place for you. That's the moment to shift, to give you an experience. Because people in this, in this day and age are so mental mm-hmm. about their ability to do something. Yeah. So mental. We're just energetic beings having a human experience. Mm. And when you come back to the simplicity of that, it is simple. Keep it simple, stupid. I see with athletes all the time, and unless you give them an experience of something different, they can't embody it. Because knowledge without embodiment is a waste of time. The heart is 100 times more magnetic than the mind. So anything you're doing from your mind is simply projection. (laughs) You need to be coming from your heart. When you come from your heart, and that sounds like a a woo-woo thing, but you know what? I'm going to make a bumper sticker that says, Mysticism. It's quantum physics, bitch. <laughs> no shit. Because that's what it is. Yeah. And any athlete, they just talk about the luck. Well, it's actually the luck. And even my work, the luck bubble. Right. Is, it's actually a misnomer. Because it's not. It's actually cause and effect. Yeah. It's not luck. Luck is the, uh, it's something that happens without anything having happened before. Mm. But the fact is there is stuff that happens before that. We all have misbehaviors that leads to this downward spiral. It leads to proving that shit that I can't trust the bastards. Right, and I just proved it again, because that's because you want to—that's what you want to prove. Yeah, over and over. So you're not right. the best judge of it. Right, but you have to give people a physical experience of it, and that's where I'm going more and more to, is doing the teams with sessions. Uh, sorry, doing sessions with teams, just 90 minutes on the pitch. It's all it takes, and then the, obviously the speaking engagements so have to be visceral. They can't just talk about stuff. People go, ah, mm. no, you got to get them up off their feet, yeah. on their feet and give them a physical experience of it so it becomes ingrained in their system. Yeah. Success is simple. Spend more time doing the shit that you love in the vibration that you love mm. than you do in the shit that you don't like in the vibration you don't like. Yeah. But think about that for a moment. Every single person when you wake up or we're going to bed tonight, think how much time today did I spend actually in the vibration of what I love? Mm. Most people say, well, not at all. Some people might say, well, 10 minutes, maybe an hour. Mm. But how much time did I spend in the shit that I didn't? 23 hours it's the rest of that time so how can you possibly expect anything different if you don't do something different yeah the definition of it is already laid in stone for you Mm. and it has to be physical has to be an experience of it yeah and that shit will change that's what looks like magic that's what looks like luck and after 20 years and thousands of experience of people literally stepping out going well this happened and I can't believe that that happened I was like well how can you not (laughs) believe that that happened of course it did it's like you. It's like you went down the path, you took that step, and you stepped into the unknown. Mm. The dance floor of the gods, I like to call it. Yes, call it cause I that's love that. where it's at. Yeah. The unknown is where it's at. Yeah. You make a choice about what your heart would love to create as opposed to what your shit would like to prove. And then you go, you take that leap, and you take that leap again, and again, and again. And of course, things opened up for you. You got invited mm-hmm. to do this, invited to do that. You're on a whole different path, but more importantly, you are such a different man. Yeah. To what you were then yeah and you're on that path of of ultimate reward for you yeah i was really trying hard before yeah. and now it's just letting it happen you know that's a big difference um and i know that and i, I there's a couple things i want to share for for you to um riff on Um, so you, you've done a lot of work with, I, I won't, I won't speculate as to who this dude was to you, but maybe one of your teachers as you were getting, coming Mm -hmm. to, 
honing your skills and sharpening your your sort of intuition. But William Whitecloud, mm-hmm. who for anyone out there listening, he's written some incredible books. The one that I've read, which was an amazing book, which actually tied in everything I've been learning with Kirk, is a book called The Magician's Way. And in there, he it's a fiction. It's a semi-fictional story. And after having met his his ex-wife, now it's somewhat his own story uh, built into it. But he talks about this is something that's very relatable, I think, for a lot of people is he talks about how the guy goes to get a golf lesson. It all starts for him going to get a lesson in golf. And he says, he goes and he has this lesson with this golf teacher who's like a world-renowned golf coach. He's actually a real person, Chris Barkway. My yeah. good friend Chris Barkway, yeah. the golf magician. I love this. Because this, to me, is what it's all about. It's And it's about getting out of your swing circle. And so all of us, if you're, if you've ever played golf, you go in there and you're going to play golf and you're fucking thinking about a million and one things and playing golf, it's the most technical sport on the planet. One of the most difficult athletic exercises ever. And there's how your arms are, how your stance is, how you bring the club back, how you bring it through, all of these things, keeping your head down on the ball, not picking your chin up, etc., etc. And you can go through all of these, and every shot you can fucking be trapped in a million different things about how your swing is going to connect with the ball. And this coach goes, just look out there, find a spot where you want to hit the ball to, and then just swing the club. And the guy's like, really? That sounds insane. Why the heck? There's no fucking way that's going to work. I'm fucked if I do that. <laughs> but sure enough, he starts just, he's like, okay, I picked that spot out there. He goes down, looks at the ball, takes his swing. Sure enough, the ball goes right to that spot he was looking at. He's like, holy shit, that's a fluke. Let me try it again. Does it again. Boom, same thing, right to the spot. He does that. He's, you know, he's hitting a hundred balls at the range and he does it, you know, 80 times. And the guy's like, every time you don't, you get back into your swing circle. You're thinking about all the things you're doing wrong or what you have to do. And I've taken that in my own golf game and it fucking works. But this, but this is the thing that, that life is all about. You know, this is the, the metaphor for life, getting out of the fucking swing circle that you're talking about, Amen. you know? It's like pick what you want to do, have your focus and your your attention trained on the the goal you want to achieve, and then just allow the universe to come into your physical body and because the mind body is this psychosomatic phenomenon that's happening. And the moment you're trying to do it, like the great writers we talked about who produce the the you know, the alchemist, Paulo Coelho. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, some of the other guys we were talking about. Who David produced, Data. David Data, the Way of Spirit. the Superior Man, who produced these profound... Seminal works. Seminal works. Life-changing, humanity-changing, altering... James Redfield, Celestine Prophecy. There's so many... Philosophy them, right? that they download into the, the collective consciousness. But then, because of their book deals, they're unable to capture that same truth. And so it's like getting out of your own way. You know, we have to get out of our own way. And that was always a big thing with you. 
from from what I l- I've learned from you is getting out of my own fucking way, man. Because the moment you start trying is literally the moment you take yourself out of being able to do it. Because you're in all of the ways that it could go wrong, all of the little minute steps along the way that you have to accomplish to get the goal done, to get the job done, rather than envisioning the goal, seeing the goal, and then just letting your mind, your mind body take over and do the work for you. It's an incredible machine. It's, it's an incredible machine. It's a phenomenon. It's, it's just the input that you put into it that yeah. messes it up. You've got this computer that just makes it so much harder than what it is. Yeah. And it's just, it doesn't have to be that hard. Flow state, right. um, genius state, whatever you want to call it, um, being in the zone is not the addition of stuff. Like yes. for a long time they said, we only use you know, 12% of our brain. Imagine if you could use 13%. That was huge for 20, right. 30 years. Right. It was inaccurate. What they actually found was when they started developing ways to measure it, those in flow state were only using... Four percent of their brain. Right. It was actually the taking away of shit, not the addition of shit. And I see that with athletes all the time. Sports is such an incredible vehicle for this concept. Absolutely. Of life. And that's why Chris Barkway with the, the golf lesson does he's an intuit, just like yeah. I am, just yeah. like William taught both of us to look at someone's physiology and just what's obvious about them. So yeah. you'll swing a club with with Chris for an hour. You might not even hit a ball. Right. And he'll just talk to you. He just looks and just goes and just watches your physiology. And you take a swing. And he says, well, you weren't thinking about the end result. You were thinking about it right up until just before you made contact. And then you freaked out. Or you made contact and you didn't follow through because you quickly looked to see what you're going to do, which is what you do in life. Yeah. Your golf swing is your life. Yeah. And my job is just to read people and go, well, the way you're sitting is your life. Hmm. The way that, and when you're going for something that you'd really love to create, that's when your shit comes up. It doesn't happen when you're driving to the store and you say, yeah, usually there's no parking on a Saturday morning, but I choose to have a park. Let's play with it. And you get a park, you go, woohoo. Yeah. But then the next week when you're turning up to the job interview of your life, I guarantee you that you cannot find a park. I got to get there on time. I got to find a parking spot. I got to this. I got to that. I got to have my coffee. I got to. Because am I right? Am I prepared enough? I didn't photocopy the stuff. We sabotage ourselves. Mm. Doubt. It's the only weapon the ego has. It can't trust that you being two minutes late is perfect because the person that was there that could have derailed your interview mm. wasn't there or whatever it is. She's going, this is perfect. Only the fool, a saying of mine is that clients always say back to me, only the fool sees a detour as anything less than the greatest thing that's ever happened to them. Mm. Businesses, companies, pivots, technologies, teams, losing a player, an injury, etc. No, it's actually the best thing because that small ankle injury you got has actually saved you from a from a groin injury that would have kept you out for 12 months. Mm, yeah. From twisting a knee, from doing a neck, whatever it was. Me getting stabbed in the eye was the greatest regret of my life mm. because I trained so hard for that and I wanted to do that and it got taken away from me, whether I liked it or not, innocuously. Yeah. Shit. You know, I've got mates getting shot overseas, getting blown up, guys dying, and there's me worrying about getting... I get stabbed in the eye with a stick, <laughs> like a piece of straw. Literally, it was a tough bit of straw that just had innocuously a, some, some cordite on it that ate away in my corner. I'm like, what the? Jesus, man. So I was dark for a long time about that. But then I forgot that literally the day before, I gave it up. I said, I choose to serve the highest good. Mm. You know, it saved me from having to do stuff that I may not have been able to deal with being in combat, 
I could have cost lives, taken lives. I don't know what it is, but you just have to give it up and go, I choose to serve the highest good. Mm. William Whitecloud, yeah, the Natural Success. Uh, check out his work. He, The Magician's Way is a great read, similar to The Alchemist. Mm. But his true strength is that he's the greatest teacher of intuition on the planet, without a doubt. Yeah. All the ones I've come across, quite a lot of them. And he's the best by far. Yeah. His ability to get you to get out of your own way, to discern between which is imagined and which is real. Yeah. And to see your stuff. I know no better teacher of that. Uh, I recommend that the greatest skill you could ever possibly learn is the use of intuition. Yeah. Because you don't second guess yourself. You just go, well, my mind's thinking this, 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 this. And I see this with companies. Yeah. They go, come in, Kirk, and assess us. <laughs> I come in and I look and they give me all this data. I'm like, I don't need to know anything, dude. Just let me just walk. Yeah, let me just see. Walk, let me just feel it. And I just walk around and go, yeah, this is never going to work. Because you would rather be right that once again you're going to get fucked over. Mm. Or that you're the only person that can do this. Or that, uh, I see it all the time. With It has to be at the top of the tree, the CEO. So you go, well, it has to be this way. It's actually, no, if you pivot this way, this way, this way, and you let it all go and you actually do what you love then everything will open up for you. Mm. And the degree to which they can meet that or not, it's the subjective data. If you're going to spend a million bucks on objective data analysis, surely you can spend a hundredth of that to go, well, what do I get though? Mm. And you sit with them and go, that's the truth. All indicators say that we should absolutely buy this stock. We should buy this company. We should do this thing. But then if you ask me, I sit and go, well, actually what I get is there's change coming. I did this successfully with a company about COVID. There's a change coming that you'll be perfectly placed for, but you've got to go through the pain of thinking this thing is over. Uh. They're like, what? We plugged ourselves in. And it was painful for them, but I showed them how that was their dynamic. Mm. And all of a sudden, a pandemic hits, and they are perfectly on time, the people to deliver on this. Mm. Perfectly on time. The unknown. Yeah. The dance floor of the gods. So, yeah, I implore anybody... Hit up William, natural success, um, and learn to discern between that, between which is imagined and which is real. Mm. Yeah. How? So. You have you have a handful of incredible stories about your intuition working in real time, and how you were sure that it wasn't right. And then it would reveal itself to be the truth. And one of those, for instance, I mean, I'll paraphrase this one just because this story, you don't need to share this story again, but your friend Heath, who got this, had this voice come into him who said, you got to go meet Prince. And he's like, oh, you know, you, you're about the only person I've ever told that story to. And I don't even know if it's cool <laughs> it's for the... me to tell, but I, I, we'll call him Heath. And uh, that story. Yeah. Just, I mean, and so him, and then him for just trusting it, saying, okay, I'll, I'll fuck, I, I don't know, I'll go. Go and knock on his door. Figure out how to meet Prince. So I fly to Minnesota and find out where he lives and knock on his door. And the bouncer says, get the fuck out of here. You don't have an <laughs> appointment? You're not coming in. The car crash that brings them together, it, it, it conjures in him they deal with the, this car crash make sure everyone's okay he comes in for tea next thing you know he's like all right this isn't what i thought it was i'm an idiot i'm, I'm an idiot fool. i can't believe Fuck i listened it. to the voices that were coming to me uh, let me get a hotel room before i head back tomorrow wakes up the next morning you got to go back to see prince he's like Fuck, okay i guess 
goes in, gets into the house. Then he gets a phone number. Call this number later tonight. He calls. He goes back to his hotel room, calls the number. Come to this place at 7.30 in the morning tomorrow. Okay. Next thing you know, he's sitting in a room with 20 to 30 people and Prince walks Over. in and is giving them alien downloads. Well, no, I don't know if it was alien downloads, but what, they definitely you know. sat in in something greater than ourselves. Of course, of course. And it was the other people in the room. Who I'm had just exactly, using that as, yeah, right. as the fun. And they had exactly the same experience yeah. to to be called there, all those people. Yeah. And that was the test that the ones who come back, from what I understand, again, paraphrasing his story, uh, he tells them he became, you know, these guys were, were deep. Yeah. And every single person there had the same experience of, of illogically going there and knocking on the door being refused and then getting the insight again and despite the fact that they're just being humiliated having the strength to go i can't argue with this go back and not so how many people have received that download and not done it because don't get me wrong there's a lot of crazies out there who think of course and they're thinking that and that's the thing the psychosis you know, like how many people probably thought hey brother i you got to get your mixtape to prince you know, he's going to see my genius. He's going to see your genius when you go and meet with Prince. So you got to go knock on his door with your mixtape. And that's just, that's right. that thing. That's that, that subtle nuance of coming from a place of your mind or coming from this heart generated or heart open space. That's just receiving some, it's just the truth. Right. And it has a vibration to it. Yeah. As we talked about before. That is the ultimate skill of, of being able to trust that truth. And for me, it comes from symbolism. Uh-huh. I use symbolism as my, my key with intuition because language doesn't work for me. Occasionally I hear stuff. Occasionally I get like literally stuff written out for me. I'll do creative writing and it'll, it'll come through the pen. But mostly when I get asked to tune into stuff, I just simply ask, well, ask for a symbol or observe someone's physiology. And it's just what's obvious. Yeah. But it's born of symbolism and this is something people don't realize about the mind the mind works in in linked thoughts mm. so i look at your headset and that reminds me of i got a i got a email that came through oh that email underneath that actually i gotta return this email today to that guy and that reminds me of australia actually the gold coast and then i go and that's the link of thoughts uh-huh. that happens 24 uh-huh. 7 yeah then there's pure creative thought which uh-huh. is we're here talking and i get a friend's name that comes to me a friend's face out of the blue uh-huh. no link to anything I know that I'll be talking to that person within the next 48 hours uh. I know that they'll be reaching out I say to clients sometimes Hollywood's an interesting place when people come and say they go, I want you to do a read for me okay if it serves <laughs> the highest good and I tune in and go actually it doesn't serve the highest good you're not ready and they go I've got money uh, it doesn't matter You know, don't you know who I am yeah I do but it doesn't serve the highest good <laughs> it's going to backfire and I've learned my lesson about giving people reads unless they really really want it too yeah really committed to it as opposed to show and tell. Mm. And then uh, six months later, 12 months later, I'll get all of a sudden their face will come to me out of nowhere. I'll be washing the dishes. Boom. It hits me like, ah, yep. They're ready. And sure as eggs, they reach out Mm. 24, 48 hours. I do that every, I say I'm so attuned to it now. It happens every week. I get two or three people go, ah, okay. Yep. They're going to contact me. And they do, which is first I thought of them and they did or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Right. It's, think of when your mind is not in the loop think Uh about when it's an original thought ask yourself is that just my shit 
Well, I'm trying to get my stuff to print because I'm really working hard at being seen, being discovered, right. being validated and Prince is my idol or being in my psychosis of I'm meant to marry him. Why? Because I heard a voice. Well, where'd that voice come from? Right. Was that a loop thought because you've been sitting on the edge of your bed for eight hours Yeah. upset with your life? Yeah. And thinking, oh, Prince is the way out? Yeah. Or were you sitting there putting your shoes on and all of a sudden you get this hit that goes, you need to knock on Prince's door. Huh. What the fuck and where the fuck did that come from that is the question people should ask themselves that is an important delineator between what is the truth and what is not and simply asking what's the truth and allow a symbol to come Mm. a symbol could be something you see something here draw a circle define it as the truth or insight allow it to come on in and you go huh it's kind of obvious if you get nothing or it's confusing step away from it Mm -hmm. it's not the right time to act on anything yeah that's really powerful and I think the other part, the other um, linguistic tool in that belt that I've learned from you is I choose to step into my highest greatness or I choose to serve the highest good Mm -hmm. because then you're setting that vibration for doing what's exactly necessary in that moment. Right. Such a great question. In fact, it's yeah. the only question that matters. Right. <laughs> it really Does it is. serve the highest good? And if it's just a straight out red light, bloodshed, and we we did this with guys going through doorways. Yeah, dude. Tell I This is such a powerful uh, illustration of this. So I want you to share that. Sure. So I got a chance to work with a uh, special forces unit. And what we did was going through doorways, we wanted to assess when your fear is high, you're alert like a like an animal. Mm. Your intuition is high. Mm. But your mind is terrible mm. because fear is born of, again, being in the future, the assumption that something's going to go wrong. Mm. And I need these guys to have the ability to come back to the present. Yeah. I'm not trying to resolve this stuff. I've got to be first through the door to prove that I'm a man because daddy treated me poorly. Right. <laughs> or I'm trying to work out what's going to happen on the other side of this. No, come back to the present. Take a breath, ground oneself deep into the core of the earth. And from that breath, ask, what do you get? And as the team of four breaches, shoulder to shoulder, because you can feel the guy next to you. Mm-hmm. You're going through a doorway and there's potentially someone on the other side that's going to shoot you in the face. Mm. You've got to master your fear. Yeah, You can feel it. <sighs> Look, a nervous warrior is a good warrior. Anybody who doesn't feel scared as a soldier, he's a liability. Because huh. that's bullshit. Fear is real. It's about being able to feel that and operate anyway. What serves the highest uh-huh. good? So standing at the doorway, what serves the highest good? What do we get through this doorway? And you can feel this guy's heart racing. Just at the thought, how incredible is the body? The adrenal dump, uh, just from a thought. Yeah. Climax from fantasy. Mm. I mean, the mind is an incredible switch, if you will. Yeah. Healing oneself from, from illness through turning a switch on in the brain. And on that doorway, you ask the guys, what do you get? And they get a symbol, and one says, well, I get the color red. And what's obvious about that to you? Because uh, it's not the symbol. It's what it represents to you. That's a stop sign to know. What do you get? I get a bull. What's that represent to you? It reminds me when I was a kid, I got chased by a bull. It really fucking hurt. Jump in the fence, I got caught up. Huh, what do you get? I get blood. I get blood. Lots of blood. When three out of the four guys get that random symbolism and ask them, what's obvious? They go, there's pain on the other side of this door. Let's just step the fuck away. Mm. And you do. That is not luck. Mm. That's using your God-given skills. It's shutting up shutting the fuck up for long enough to hear what the truth is we have this as animals it's inherent within us any creation any self-help work you do is a waste of time 
everything, the multi-trillion dollar industry that's out there is telling you lies. Mm. It's bullshit because it comes from your mind of trying to steer the outcome as opposed to being with the very first thing that counts, which is the truth. When you forge a company, when you have a team, if you're coming from trying to validate yourself, your wound, you will only create that thing you're trying to get away from. What you resist persists. The energy you put in is exactly the same. Don't think of the pink elephant. Don't think, Eb, don't think of the pink <laughs> elephant. That's your, right here. Right? <laughs> it's the exact same with the creation of a company, an artist's musings, um, or a team, a football team. If you're trying to get away from it, you're destined to create it. Yeah. As opposed to, let's name that, name it, thy demons shall, like cockroaches, it'll just run away mm. from the light. Okay, what's required? What serves the, what would my heart love to create? Well, it really loves engaging with the boys. I love coming off the field like I played. I played my heart out for yeah. someone else than myself. Yeah. I did not let my team down today. I made a couple of mistakes, but I gathered up. As soon as I lost the ball, I ran and ran and ran till I got it back. Mm. And there was a moment when I was in the pocket. You can't be in the pocket all the time. Focus is not the ability to stay on focus. It's the ability to come back to focus. Uh, I love that, dude. That's so powerful. It's so missed by athletes and coaches and teams. Yeah. My job is to bring back people into focus, not to keep them on focus all the time. Right. And it's effortless and it's joyous mm. eventually, but you need to train yourself in that dynamic. So with teams, you know, whether it's, you know, Marines, SEALs, Delta, SAS, they just have that inbuilt ability because they're going through selection. Mm. Thousands of guys who want to be those, that dozen guys, they have it innately within them to go, huh, and that's why they're open to this kind of stuff. Right. As opposed to your regular army, which is soldiers over the eons going, we will break you down and rebuild you the way we want you, which is, yes, sir, how high, sir. Right. Get it done. SF's not interested in that. Yeah. They want the creative thinkers to go, hmm. And they're willing to look at those specialist areas. Mm. How do I get peak performance? Energetic beings having a human experience. Mm. So powerful, man. Um. The one more story I want you to tell <laughs> is about when you're doing, you're on your speaking circuit and I think you're talking about the luck bubble and tapping into your intuition and all of these things that we're talking about. And this group, this particular group says, Kirk, we want you to come back. You got to do the speech. People fucking love it, man. And you're going, well, what serves the highest good? And you're like, well. I guess I'm supposed to talk about death right now and talk about yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, it was the, my biggest gig at the time and they, it was a recurring thing and uh, people paid a lot of money to come to this facility to be able to, and I was the opening speech for a week's worth of transformation for them. Mm. But I got that it served the highest good to talk particularly about death <laughs> and I went deeply, deeply into the darkness of death and energetic. <laughs> and through it, I'm like, shit, should I really? Because I could see the energy in the room. People was going, what? The fuck is this bullshit? I paid 15 grand to come here, whatever, 10, 15 grand, and this is how they open? This week is not going well. And literally afterwards, they had blowback. They had, I don't know, five or six people pull out. So we want our money back now, Whoa. and you're going to cover my costs because you wasted my time. And then another dozen people complained about it. And they're like, Kirk, what the fuck? Why couldn't you do your standard speech about the luck and how to create it? and then do the embendable arm exercise and all that cool, fun shit that you did? That was fine. People love that shit. <laughs> We, we want that. Why, why would you do that? I said, because it didn't serve the highest good. I got that's what it served the highest good, and that's the way it works. I just have to be a slave to it. Otherwise, shit goes wrong for me. Yeah. They go, well, we can't have that. Can you change? Can you just give us what we want? I said, well, no, I, I can't. 
Hmm. Okay, well, this doesn't work anymore. You're not coming back week after week. I'm like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was angry with my intuition, man. I'm angry with what serves the highest good. I'm like, is this bullshit? Am I leading a lie like I've done it hundreds of times in my life? Am I full of shit? Doubting it. Doubting it. Am I full of shit? What the f- All my stuff came up around. I was devastated. And then uh, at the end of the week, I get this uh, phone call from someone saying, um, there's someone who wants to reach out to you from that. Are you okay with that? I said, sure. And they... They sent me a letter and they contacted me and they said, um, I, I went there on that day to shoot myself, to put a bullet in my head mm. that evening. And I specifically went there to do it in that way because it would make the greatest slap in the face to someone who paid for me to go there. Mm. And I was literally, I was going to do it, I needed to do it on the first night after experience, the first thing I experienced was your speech and talking about death and going into it. It just, you changed my life, man. And just thank you. I can't thank you enough. And now he has a great family and children and he's bringing wonderful joy into the world. So they're like, awesome, we get it now. So we'd love you to come back, (laughs) but can you just do the thing that everybody loves so there's not just one person that likes it, but the 55 people who paid 10, 15 grand each. And I was like, "Uh, it doesn't serve the highest good. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay. And that was my lessons, you know. It's taken me. T- I've been resisting doing this work for 20 years. Yeah, I got sick in 2000, changed my life, and sent me down a road I, I never picked for myself. And it was only just end of last year. I just went. This is actually who I am. This is what I need to do. So I just give over to that. And all of a sudden, the, the world's opening up in ways that I couldn't imagine. It's awesome, man. It's such a powerful lesson. You know, it's such a power. It's such powerful work when you're willing to get out of your own way. And follow the signs of the universe. Right. You know? Um, For me, when we... So we had that coffee. And during that coffee, just to bring it back full circle, we've been talking for over an hour, dude. I feel like we could talk all day. (laughs) Yeah, probably good. We'll wrap up pretty soon. Um, But we have that coffee. I'm in tears because you're telling me I'm a shaman and... Oh, you weren't just in tears, man. It was not coming out your nose. You were, you were a mess. <laughs> I was a mess. You were a mess. I had ter- it, was, it was a surrendering moment for me, mm-hmm. you know, because your words had just pierced right into my heart, and I, was, I just surrendered to it, and I was just sobbing. And, um, and you said, Eb, I'm taking my guys to do combo, and I keep getting a hit that you should do it. And I'm like, combo? What the fuck is combo? Combo is... Eb, combo is uh, frog venom that makes you really sick. You're purging for about 15 minutes like it's the worst flu you've ever had. And then you come out and you feel clean and energized and clear. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Are you sure? Uh..." (laughs) And he's like, yep. Every time I think about it, I see your face and you come to mind. So I think it would serve you to do it. I said, fuck, dude. All right, let me think about it. And we walk back to your car. And you have a card on your windshield that someone, between the time you parked and went to add coffee and came back, someone had put this card that said, combo sessions, call so-and-so. And And it had a phone number on it. You're like, fuck me. Look at this, man. Here's the frog again. (laughs) So we go and do combo. And that was was a, a transformative experience doing the warrior cleanse three sessions and one moon cycle and it was it was it was incredible and then but after that 
talking about symbolism for me and my experience of uh, my firsthand experience of that was then somewhere along the line you say because that wasn't one of your official readings quote-unquote intuitive readings that you do that are super powerful and so you said ebb in a couple weeks let's meet up i want to give you a full reading Mm -hmm. so he said okay and we go in we do the full reading and everything you said was right on point and i still use the symbols that came up in that ceremony as far as ebb the muse for you as a cowboy and i was like oh that's that's my life from the time i was a kid the cowboy dude i've been striving to be a cowboy out on a ranch and uh anyway we start talking about ayahuasca because ayahuasca ceremonies were coming up and you say ebb what what do you see when you think about ayahuasca ceremony and i looked down on the floor and i saw this like I saw this giant fucking honeybee on the floor. Big stinger, big fat body, yellow and black and beautiful and furry and fuzzy and I'm looking at this honeybee and I'm 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 praying that this is my intuition saying, Eh, you don't need to do ayahuasca <laughs> But we start talking about it and you you say, The honeybee, it's and I I I, I described it to you and you say oh it's soft and look there's a hummingbird right there and um you say ebb it's soft and there's comfort in there but there's also the pain and thinking back to that moment and what the ayahuasca that first ayahuasca ceremony was for me it was so much that embodied in that symbol and the honeybee is all about honey and being with the team and bringing you home and the hive and working together and and the sweetness of the honey and what the honey brings and the nourishment that it brings. And mind, mind you, there's that stinger, but the stinger is really just a symbol of the possibility of pain, but a honeybee is not really looking to sting things. It's not interested in that. It's That's the last resort because usually if a bee stings something, it dies. Mm-hmm. So it's not looking to sting anything. So bringing it back to that and what my first ayahuasca ceremony and experience was like, there were, it was such a galvanizing experience for me in my life. And what I got from that experience of, really in that first ayahuasca experience, I describe it to people as, I, as a homecoming. I came home. You know, spirit was with me saying, this is where you belong. You've been doing this for lifetimes. This is who you are. And that was really the next thing. Because only a couple months after that, I got the call and started working with Mike Tyson. And all these things just started to unfold. You know, and it was really just giving myself to what the universe was giving me. But the trick of it is, it's not always what you want. And rarely it's what you want. It never happens the way that you see it. Right, right. It's it's about just taking that leap of faith. You know, and there's this story I've listened to. I've been listening to a lot of Osho talks. Mm -hmm. And he he, there's this tale. I think it's a Taoist tale or a Buddhist Buddhism, an, an ancient sort of Buddhism or Taoist folklore about this. Oh, no, it's Sufi. It's a Sufi legend about Mojude. And Mojude was a middle-aged man, and he was a weights and balances 
chief in his town. This is like a pretty, you know, this is coming from a guy who's from India. So this is like very, um, it's not necessarily something we understand here, but it's, it's basically like a, a, a government job or like a municipal job that's steady pay and decent work and you can have a decent life. And one day Kadir comes to him and Kadir is the Sufi demigod of uh, the self. It's like the intuition. It's your center. Um, and Kadir says, tomorrow you're going to leave your job and you're going to go to the river. And he says, Mojud says, all right. And he does that. He, he has to tell his employer, you know, and I'm not going to work for you anymore. I've got to go do this thing. And everybody thinks he's fucking nuts because he's leaving this job and he's just going on this. He's following Kadir on this journey. So he gets the next day he gets to the river and Kadir appears again and Kadir always comes in green and it's the he's the embodiment of nature and the and the ether the ether and everything and the oneness of the universe and your sense your centrality he's sort of like the innermost point of yourself and he says jump into the strip your clothes off and jump into the river perhaps someone will save you. And Mojude is like, okay, it <laughs> does it. And he, he fucking gets in, he gets naked. He jumps in the river and because he could swim, he didn't, he wasn't going to, he knew he wasn't going to drown. But the idea that perhaps someone will save you, he just trusted it. And the universe works like that. As you begin to surrender to it at first, it's a perhaps because you have to be willing to take that leap of faith because anything you know for certain is not, uh, you don't have to have a leap of faith. You don't have to trust in God. You don't have to trust in the universe. So it starts out with perhaps you might feel a little bit of pain. You know, you might face death. But are you willing to take that risk and also take this leap of faith and jump into the arms of the universe so he jumps into the river and uh, a few 30 minutes later a fisherman comes by and pulls him into his boat and the fisherman teaches him how to fish and how to operate a boat and how the the ways of the water and the fisherman also didn't know how to read or write so Mojud teaches him how to read and write and they have this interchange and they he learns a lot from him and Kadir doesn't show up for another couple years he just keeps doing this thing he keeps working with the fishermen learning the ways of the water and then one day Kadir appears at the foot of his bed and says tomorrow you go into this town and you get this new job just leave here or he says, right now you have to leave here. He's lying in bed. It's two o'clock in the morning. And Mojude just says, okay. So he goes and he goes into this town. And he now he's given up shelter. He's given up all this stuff. And Kadir says, you will make money when you get to this town. So then it's this process of, as you're willing to take the leap of faith and jump into the arms of the universe, and you begin to harness this power of trusting your inner truth, it gains momentum and you gain, gain clarity and the answers become more uh, prevalent and you become more aware of the truth of the situation. So now it's not a perhaps. 
Now it's, I'm going to make money when I go to this next town. I just have faith because that's built into my functioning mechanism. You know, and that's so much about what this process of honing your intuition is. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, do I know for a fact it's going to happen? No, but that's part of the game. Mm -hmm. That's part of the game. And you, you... I mean, this is kind of a, a lewd way to describe this, but the universe gives you points when you are willing to take the leap of faith mm-hmm. and just jump into the arms of the unknown. Agreed. And in my vernacular, it is that whatever has the power in the subconscious is created. Mm. But the subconscious doesn't know what has the power until you take action. Yeah. So if you get something intuition says yeah you should go do this and then you don't do anything with it well that has the power Mm. nothing happens yeah but if you do it and you have the act of faith and you take an action it goes oh subconscious goes oh that okay well why don't you tell me that's what you wanted right i'll create that for you (laughs) but yes when you have something happen you go that's right i can't trust these people Mm. i'm gonna not i'm gonna pull my money back Mm. The act of pulling the money back, oh, that's right, because we're always going to be poor. Mm. No matter how much money you save, you will never be wealthy. Yeah. The structure underlying it mm. is everything. Are you coming from what you would love to create and trusting that and acting on it? Or are you coming from your wound that is dedicated to proving and keeping it the way it is? Yeah. So you can think as much as you want about a subject, but the action that you take, and collusion is the worst one that I see. Collusion is the act of getting validation from someone else that the world is the way that you see it. Oh. And this country is rife in it. Yeah. This country's rife in people being with me or against me. Do you agree? Therefore, all it propels is more distrust. Because it's <coughs> have and have not. It's, uh, and the bastards did this, and he did this, and he treated me so poorly. Mm. Or she... She just nagged. She just kept on. She, that's always the way. I, what was it with women? Right. They can't. They, they always nag. <laughs> and the fellows go, yeah, over a beer. Yeah, yeah Ain't that the truth, man? So you, you vocalizing that? Yeah. You have just created that again. Yeah. yeah. The key is that focus, coming back to focus, is going, this is what I'm habitually dedicated to proving. I don't have the capacity. Uh, that's right. I'm not, I haven't got the wealth yet. And once I've got some more money, then I can go and do what I love. Mm. Or, well, if I, if I just get on top of my calendar, then I can have time to create. Mm. Then I can, as opposed to just doing it. Yeah. So, because it's, it's saying every time you go, I'd love to do that. Well, okay, excellent. I'm excited about it, but let me get this other stuff out of the way first. Uh-huh. Subcon- and as soon as you act on that, subconscious goes, that's right, because it's not what you really want. Yeah. What you really want is to be stuck in that process of always not quite having what you would love. Right. Yeah, it's for my my stuff. It's a personality. Yeah, I don't have the capacity, mm. so I won't step into the embracing of just doing what I need to do. Which is, do you think that 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 idea, that sentiment? I don't have the capacity. Don't you think? Oh well, I don't. I I'm 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 hearing you say that, and to me, that can work both ways. It can work as I don't have the capacity. So then. Therefore, that is perpetuated in my life. Or that's a surrendering term. I don't have the capacity. Therefore, I'm willing to let go of my trying. I uh, gotcha. Ego sees it the first way, not the second uh-huh, way. Uh-huh. 
the subconscious belief is I don't have the capacity. I'm dedicated to proving that. My thought loop gotcha. is consistently on looking for that information that proves I'm out of time. Uh-huh. I don't have the right book here to do it. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right teacher. Yeah. If only I have the right rehab program, can I get over my injuries? Mm. As opposed to, you know, in the battle for happiness, thy sword shall be named surrender. Dude, that was, that, that's so powerful, man. And that was, you know, that, that line came to me in an ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah. In which, I think you're actually there. And uh, Yeah, you told me that, dude. And I, I was, that floored me. That fucking floored me. Especially when you told me that, I was on that wavelength. Right. Of the, in the battle for happiness, surrender shall be thy sword. Right. <sighs> because it was so, I went into that ceremony looking after 20 other people with the shaman up from the Amazon. And I recommend that for anybody if you're going to do medicines journey medicines only do it with the tribe that has harvested the medicine combo uh-huh. is different combo is a medical it's a literally a drug that can be administered by as practitioners of combo look that up um but they're there to to teach you they're there to guide you it's not just this glossy experience they're there to show you your shit mm. as you know yeah you go through the ringer that's where you get your money's worth on a journey medicine when you see the folly of your way uh. on before as soon as you decide to do the medicine, shit's going to go down for you the way it always goes down for you. And what she's trying to do is to show you your stuff, yeah. either before, during, or after the ceremony. Yeah. And of course, don't get caught up. And you go, ah, of course, that's the way it plays out. Then you get incredible insight. And for me, looking after everybody that night, not going fully deep with the medicine, my own voice came to me as an old man. Uh. It was me as an old man, just saying, son, son, son. Just almost laughing at me. That's so epic. In the battle for happiness, thy sword shall be named surrender. First thing I thought was, holy shit, my voice sounds good as an old man. <laughs> and I'm doing all right as an old man. I'm sure, the dude. The Grey Ghost and yeah. uh, the Silver Fox. And I jest. <laughs> but the second thing is like, yeah, that's the folly of my way. Uh. On a deeper level than I'd experienced before. Yeah. And I, say to a lot of, I can see it a lot in people. Mm. surrender is there so absolutely to answer your question the first part is I have a predisposed disposition towards struggling mm. dedicated to proving that I'm getting better and better at it and that's the thing people think I want to be rid of my stuff I want to be devoid of my ego right. you idiot it's the thing that made your personality the thing that made you who you are it's yeah. the thing that made all the great parts of you it's Pandora's box yes. and the bottom of it is the folly of your way you cannot avoid the ego. That's what it's there for. Uh, Energetic beings born into a human experience that are going to have shit happen on the masculine and feminine. When we're children, very young, and I've done reads on pills, taken right back to their conception and saying, how could you know that? I say, oh, look, I just get it. Just go and ask your mom. They go and ask their mom. Their mom breaks down and she's going, oh my God, how could you possibly know that? That's what took place. <laughs> Taking on energetic stuff, then your life becomes about dedicated to, to proving that. Yeah. And then when you see that, it's the meaning of life. Then you step through it. You can't be devoid of it. People mm. look at other people with envy. Everyone's got their shit. Yeah. And you can't gauge anyone else's pain. Whether they're wealthy or whether they're poor. Whether they're ignorant or whether they're knowledgeable. As masters would say to me, I'd hear this consistently around the world. Because the greatest healers I've ever worked with, they're funny fuckers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're so real. They're so true. Great sense of humor. Any moment you go to someone who's one with everything, fucking run. Yeah, yeah. They're Get full the of fuck shit. out of there. They're full of shit. But the ones who can laugh at themselves, and they haven't got it all sorted. Yeah. They're a conduit to yeah. tell what needs to be done, but they haven't got it sorted. Yeah. And they would say to me, the tree, it's just a tree. But to the wise man, 
Oh, it's everything. Can you see how it's everything? And you go, oh my God, yes, I can see how the tree is everything. But then to the wisest of us all, it's just a fucking tree, dude. Get right. over yourself. Yeah, I love that. So, and then your brain just cracks open. I just read that again, and uh, and I'm reading uh, Alan Watts' "Out of Your Mind." Oh, great! And uh, such a he, luminary. Yeah, yeah. He talks. He said that exact same thing, mm-hmm. and I remember back to our coffee, where you were. You said to me, we were looking out because the coffee shop was right on the the uh, like a bus stop, and past that was this apartment complex, and there are these big trees, and you go, uh, see over there. The the fool looks over there and goes, ah, it's just a fucking tree. And then the wise man, he looks over there and he sees everything in that tree. And that tree is everything. But then the wisest man comes back and goes, eh, it's just a fucking tree. <laughs> I can't believe you remember that. I can't remember saying that to you at the You time. said it, dude. And I was like, <laughs> I think I get it. But it's so true. You know, it's so true at the end of the day because it's it's that thing of coming back to it's like that saying, it is what it is. Uh, it doesn't know? matter. Yeah. Nothing matters. Come on, guys. Just yeah. take it's a breath. It's the cosmic joke. It's the cosmic joke that it's not meant to you be know? easy. You know, And that's the meaning of life. To know thyself, to see the folly of our way, to come full circle. Ah, doesn't mean anything about me. It's, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. To see, you know, and that's an important assertion for guys, um, you know, on tour in combat situations where stuff goes down, hor- horrific stuff goes down. And... And that's their ability to go, it doesn't mean anything about me. The part of their brain that's shocked or in orders, it, does, it doesn't mean it. And that's what it's about. Yeah. People deny their emotions when they come to shock, trauma. Uh. And that is the worst thing you can do. One thing they teach us is that whatever you're feeling is exactly right. It's the same with death, grief. Whatever you're feeling, that's exactly right for you to be feeling it. Mm. But we go into it with a closed heart. We feel what we feel without it, with a closed heart. So we, we become dedicated to feeling that over and over again because we think it means something about us. I could have done better. I should have done this. I'm a bad right. person. I'm a good person. I regret this. I regret that. Again, in the future or the past, not fully with the present. Just be with what you feel. Mm. It's like the crazies down here on the boardwalk. Yeah. Guy, just, you're angry. Just be with the anger uh. and it'll go away. I say to someone, yeah. stop acting. Yeah. And their, their brain literally cracks open. Because, you know, homeless, pe- homeless people, I shouldn't say this, because it's not necessarily homeless. There's homeless and then there's crazy. Uh-huh. Two different things. But Yeah, there are levels to homelessness. Right. And William said this to me years ago, talking about, we had this great discussion about about the crazies and how they're actually, it's control. Uh. Out of control people are obsessed with control. <laughs> That's <laughs> why they act out of control. To get control of you. That's why they walk across the street when the light is green and stop all the traffic. Acting crazy because they're so upset they don't want to feel what they feel. Uh-huh. And the only way they can do that is if, if I've got control, I'll be fine. So how am I going to get control? I'm going to go batshit crazy before anyone's even met me. Mm. I'm just going to go nuts on this street screaming at, at whoever. Yeah. I mean, there's the dude across from, um, uh, across from Bulletproof. Uh-huh. He's there on his preach every day. And he's screaming. I've got no idea how he's got the energy to scream for so many hours. And so I pulled up and had a conversation with him one day. I'm like, what are you angry about, mate? So how does that feel? And he literally, I thought he was going to have a stroke. His eye, his eye started to twitch. And he was like, because they deny what they feel. Yeah. Just yeah. be with what you resist, persist. Be with what the emotion that you've got. Ugh. And then ask, what's underneath that? 
yeah. with an open heart. Where do you feel that in your body? Self-narration is one of the greatest tools known to mankind, and yet we don't do it. What do I feel? Well, I don't know what I feel. I feel angry about that. It's only one of four things. Anger, sadness, joy, or fear. Uh. Or it's an offshoot of those four uh-huh. things. Well, it's not happy, and it's not, and it's not sadness, but I'm, actually I'm scared. Uh-huh. We'll be with that. How does that feel? And the realization, the embodiment, the feeling of it is far better and not nearly as bad as what you imagined it was going to be. Yeah. That happens every time. We make it up to be something greater. Yeah. And it, it, we, it, that's that ability to focus. We're subconsciously trying to resist it, so it comes back stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. And that's why crazy people will do everything to get control before you've even met them. Because mm. they just can't be with the anger, the pain, mm. sadness, whatever it is. Mm. It's... How do I mean? I know this is a this is a moot question, but you know, how did we get to this place of denying? We're in like because it, it feels as though everything you're talking about, and I know I because this is something I've been I've been jujitsuing with in myself over the last six months in particular. This is really this has been a big practice for me of allowing whatever it is that comes up just allow it acknowledge it feel it say thank you and it fucking loses all of its energy right you know but it feels like most people are in a constant state of denial denying themselves or disallowing themselves the opportunity to be something they think they're not allowed to be or they're not supposed to be and I think that's in our that's sort of built into maybe maybe it's American culture. I don't know. No, it's pretty prevalent in the first world. Okay. In fact, it's more prevalent in the first world than the third world. So maybe it's a Western it's a Western civilization issue. Yeah, I'd say it's a first the heart, world. It's, it's at the yeah. heart of human existence. Is uh-huh. it's just that when we've got more stuff and more access to more stuff and more knowledge, we have more layers put upon it, uh-huh. as opposed to someone who is. Look, some of the happy pe- happiest people I've ever met were islanders right. with nothing. Right. Living they were, barefoot. They were indigenous peoples of uh-huh. many continents that I visited, visited, and they were happy. Yeah. But there's a few things that we have that work against that. You know, denial is not just a river into Egypt. Oh. It, is, it is very real in the first world because we've got so much access to so many things that are distractions from just being. I see uh, nature as a cure-all for yeah. almost everything. Yeah. If you go into the farmland of anywhere, guys are just working in the soil. They're just more organic with life, the ebb and flow of life. Boom. But when you're sitting in front of a computer playing video games or in your job or whatever, and then you're stuck in traffic or whatnot, you're unplugged from nature. Mm. You're unplugged from the ebb and flow. Yeah. As you love so much. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why people have this 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 inability to be with it. That's really... I think that's a really acute observation right there. That's it. That's the crux of it. It happens to all of us, but it's more exacerbated in the first world. Because we have so much shit, so much comfort, and so much, so choice. much material possessions Input. and... Distractions. Yeah, distractions is what it comes down to. Because when you think of what you fundamentally need, like if you really are hurting, hmm. not just to be with the pain, but be in nature. Hmm. Get you if you're in a city. Get your feet in the sand. Go to the ocean. Stand in it. Just let it come. Mm. Be with it. 
She's there to support you. We are energetic beings having a human experience. And the more you detract from being that, the more struggle you will have in your life. Uh, yeah. Simple creatures needing simple things. Air, water, food, community. Love. Yeah. Growth. <sighs> simple. And yet we layer it with how many times in a day. We started this conversation with how many times in a day. Are you actually on the vibration of any of those things? Yeah. Are you in the vibration of what you truly want or what you truly makes you feel good? Well, just feeling good. Yeah. Just feeling good. Why? Because it's a choice. But then don't you think that in the fir- in a first world mentality leads you into thinking that feeling good or being in the good vibration all the time, I'm not allowed to feel the bad vibrations. Uh, that's a personality tie. That's definitely some personalities are like that. I'm not allowed to do that. Again, uh-huh. it means something about, I'd say a better statement is it means something about me. Uh-huh. Feeling good or feeling bad, whatever I feel, it means something about me as opposed to just being a feeling Yes, that you're denying. Mm. Feel it. Get into nature. Look, have I got it all worked out? Absolutely not, mate. Done yeah. my up days and my down days? Absolutely. <laughs> but come back to, I'm getting better at it. Yeah. Like I took a change of life. It took me being sick and sleeping for three years and then I'm down to 110 pounds or whatever it was. We didn't even get into that. That was just, but that forced change in me. Yeah. That forced change in me. That was your moment of my moment meeting you. Yes. Except I didn't have a me. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I did have me. The person actually made me sick. Uh, my great mentor and friend, <laughs> the turd. And he was the one because he, I didn't want to meet a healer. I didn't need to meet a healer. I was t- powerfully into You're Tony like, Robbins. That. I was into a, like a, what you, you know, what you can conceive or believe you can achieve. And just yeah. push and change your state and adrenaline dump. And, and it just made me very, very tired. But I was into that. I'm like, I don't need to meet a healer. It's like, oh, he's an Olympian and he's, um, and he's Australian. I'm like, oh, why don't you, why did you open with that? <laughs> yeah, I want to hang out. I walked in and Pete put his hand on my chest and I burst into tears. I'm like looking at him like, what the, for three hours, I just lost my shit. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're just killing you, mate. You need to, you need to go on the path. So I came out of it and I had a, I had a mantra using going very NLP. Uh-huh. Uh, I now command the powers of my conscious and subconscious mind to blast away any limitations imposed upon my body, my mind, and my soul. That's li- I can still remember it to this day. Whoa. And I said that for six weeks, morning and night, pushing, pushing, and I got sick. Wow. Slept for three years with an illness. They said, well, you know, I'd never get better from. But that's what was required. So, Mystery a, illness? Mystery, well, they knew what was happening in my body. What was happening? Was that the um, antigens and the antibodies need a, after a virus, they need a, a map to match up uh-huh. so that one can inject the other to kill it. Uh-huh. That's how it works. And when you're producing these maps, it's very hard. It's a lot of hard work for the body. And that's when, you know, before you get a cold, you feel terrible. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm just exhausted. Right. It's because your body is producing billions of these maps. It's Mm. working very hard internally. Mm. And with this post-viral syndrome, you never figure out the map. Oh, post-viral syndrome. Yeah, so you end up having this uh, feeling shit day in, day out. And then you start sleeping a lot. And the depression feeds the illness. The illness feeds the depression. And you just... You sleep and you sleep and you sleep. And it's a cycle. They can't, they know what's happening. They still have no idea how to break that cycle. Yeah. So the doctor, the world's expert in it, and Sydney said to me, this, you can take this pill to wake up and this pill to go to sleep. I said, cool, for how long? He said, no, that, that's your life from now on. 
and just you know get into therapy because depression will be high, has a high suicide rate. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. I'm, I'm looking at him, <laughs> and I think, are you fucking kidding me, mate? You have the worst bedside manner of any bloke I've ever met. Yeah. This is shit. Yeah. I said, I'm not willing to accept that. Who do you know that has solved this problem? And that's the way I viewed it was as a problem as opposed to something I'd love to create. Right. Because whilst ever you're looking at a problem as a problem, it's going to stay as a problem. Mm. As opposed to what would my heart love to create? I'd love to create health. As opposed to solving this problem, all the energy goes into the problem. Mm. And uh, he said, oh, I heard about this naturopath who had a success with one guy out of hundreds. But anyway, I don't think he's very good. <laughs> like, what's his number? So oh, gave me his name and I tracked him down. I started with that and I spent all my money on different healers and doing different shit and then ended up seeing a, a master of uh, Qigong, Robert Peng, his name was, and Robert uh, was allowed to come to Australia to work with the Prime Minister's daughter who had a chronic fatigue uh. and she talked about the incredible results and so I tracked him down and I worked out he was in Sydney. I went and saw him he put his hands on me and he said, your energy is killing you. I said, what? what? Yeah, I'm crying my eyes out and this whole thing's coming up for me. He said, you must learn to harness your energy. And I'm like, well, hook a brother up. Tell me how to do it. He said, no, you are not ready to learn. I said, where will I be ready to learn? He said, you'll be where I call you when you are ready. And I'm like, and I come out of Kent Street, Sydney, downtown, and there's an anti-abortion rally happening outside the building. And people start throwing eggs at me. Fuck. They think I'm coming out of the abortion clinic. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, and, and I'm crying my eyes out. I just had this whole thing where this revelation about how people don't, I think people don't get me. Uh. And I was trying to be something that I wasn't and how fake I was. And people are just abusing me. And they didn't know me. They didn't get me. And so, oh, even to now it just makes me sad thinking about it. So I end up wedged between two police, riot police horses forging through this crowd. And they're trying to they get me out of there. And I'm bawling my eyes out. I go back to a, a friend of mine, Brandon Bays, who wrote The Journey said there's a there's a the only kahuna outside of hawaii it's a polynesian style healer she's in uh byron bay you should go and see her so i go up there i go and see her she worked and the same thing happens i'm like wow this insight into how fake i am and fuck man and insight and i'm balling my eyes out i'm like and she said your energy's killing you i said yeah i've heard that she said you need to learn how to harness your energy and she said, we've got a course coming up this weekend you should come and do it it's 10 days and it's two and a half grand i'm like at that stage i spent 60 70 grand trying to get better i had no money catching the bus to get there and I said oh, I haven't got the money if I find the money I'll come and do it I walk out of there I go to pat a dog another dog jumps across and strips me down to the bone Jesus so not even the dogs don't even get me <laughs> I'm trying to do something and a dog bites me and I'm like what the and I'm bawling my eyes out and I go back into the doctor's surgery and say could someone stitch me up please I go in and see the doctor the doctor looks at me and says you've got like a chronic fatigue or a post-viral syndrome haven't you I said how do you know he said your eyes he said your energy's killing you I'm Jesus like, oh, Christ. Like, oh, for fuck's sake. And he said, you should learn how to harness that. I said, yeah, I just heard that. And he said, you should see the kahuna. It's my wife. I'm like, I just saw her just then. He said, come and do the course. It's the first time we're teaching outside of Hawaii. We'll do it in uh, seven days and you'll be... And I'm like, dude, I don't have the money. He said, you can't not do this. I said, look, if I get the money, I'll come. On the Friday, I checked my bank balance and a commercial I did here in the US five years before starts running again. They paid me $1,500 U.S. Have a guess how much they came to Australia. $2,500. And $20. Wow. And the bus fare was 15 <laughs> So I said, oh, shit. And it was my, my best mate's bucks weekend, and I just what served the highest good. I was like, I can't not go to this. My life has been shit for th two years. I can't not go. So I turned up, and they forced me to 
do the Polynesian art of flying. It's a martial art. And you move your body in a flow, a give and take, a yin and yang consistently uh. for hours, six hours at a stretch and wouldn't let me sleep. Wow. They go, you can sleep between this hour and this hour and that's it, Kirk. And you're up early in the morning, you're doing this again, you're going to keep on doing it. And that was where the straw, the broke camel's back. Uh. It was a moment now, I was just like, wow, these things are different now. Mm. And I came back to my family's home in Outback Australia, country Australia, and there was a letter from Robert Peng. And all it said is, you are ready, <laughs> call my assistant. So I called them and I went and moved to Sydney for two months and studied with him learning every day Qigong, hours and hours a day of Qigong. And that's where I got the strength. And then I decided to go to, what are you going to do now that you're getting stronger? I wasn't quite there, but the big kahuna in Hawaii, Kahu, Abraham. I said, I'm going to go and study with him. So I called him up and they said, yes, you can come. And he said, it's going to cost you, and he's in the background. His wife's on the phone. She did all the business. And he yells out, he says, tell him it's going to cost him 10,000 US. <laughs> And she, she said, it's going to cost you 10000 I'm like, what? I'm coming to work with you. I'm going to be your slave, basically, for a couple of months. I'll do whatever it takes. And it's going to cost me ten grand. Other people pay nothing. She said, yeah, but Kahu's laughing in the background. He says, that's what you need to do because you, you don't get you. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So anyway, on the Friday, I checked my bank account, $10,000 US for a different commercial. Jesus. Comes into my account. I hadn't been paid for these commercials in five years. It's crazy. So I'm like, okay. And my, my father's like, you can't waste 10 grand. It's a chance to get restarted again. I'm like, dude, I made a commitment. I'm going to go. So I go, I fly to Hawaii, arrive in Hawaii. I'm going through customs. I said, what are you doing? I come here to see the kahuna. The woman pricks up her ears and says, you know, they're witch doctors. Uh. I said, yeah, yeah. She said, why are you seeing him? I said, oh, because I've been sick with this illness. She said, wait here. She walks out, gets security, security get me. They take me out. We're denying you entry. We're returning you back to Australia. Oh, my like, what God. for? She said, um, well, A, I'm devoutly Christian. I don't believe in the kahunas. And B, why would we want to let someone sick into the country? And so I wrote this song called 29 Hours into Tuesday because I ended up, because of the, the time difference, ended up being in Tuesday a hell of a long time. And I got back there and I arrived and friends of mine were shooting a film in Australia and they were laughing their ass off saying, Kirk, you are a shit fight. This stuff, your life is such a story that yeah. always continues. What are you going to do now? And as I was, I was allowed to make one phone call from the cell, before I got back on the flight and I called Kahu and his wife picks up and I said, they're going to deport me. She yells out, he's going to be deported and Kahu starts laughing and he says, perfect. And I'm like, what the I'm fuck? About 10 grand. And I'm getting deported and I'm like, well, what do you mean perfect and what do I do now? And he says, whatever you want. <laughs> and my brain just kind of cracked open. I'm like, what the fuck? So I come back I tell the story to the guys. They're like, well, what do you want to do now? You can do anything. I'm like, I've always wanted to be an adventure guide. I want to raft rivers, climb mountains, dig snow caves. Can you even do that? Is there a course for that? And I said, I don't know. So we got online, the boys are all looking. They're going, there's a course, and the best one in Australia is two hours from here. But it's got a two and a half year waiting list to get in. So I call them the next day, I call this joint up, and they said, well, you've got to come up for an interview anyway just to go on the waiting list. So I drove two hours, got up there, met the guy. He said, you're not going to believe it while you're driving up here. Someone pulled out. It starts oh. in two days. Could you be here in two days and start? because you're funny as fuck. And uh, I said, yeah. So I turned up to this adventure course and we'd spend every Monday, we'd get on a bus, we'd go to the mountains or to the rivers and do whatever it takes. And I'd sit on the bus every morning and I would meditate. And that was part of my key thing about getting better. And if anyone disturbed me, I'd throttle them. I'd uh, give them a flogging afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And then one day, Jordan Ames yells out, young bloke, young kid from the back of the bus, hey, Westy. 
And I'm like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to punch the fuck out of him. And he says, you're not sick anymore, mate. And one eye popped open. And I looked around and just went, he's fucking right. Wow. I'm not sick anymore. Oh. I've got the strength. I'm going to be okay. And there's a very long answer to it. I don't even know how he got onto it. No, but. man. That's the story of Mo Jude, man. Right. You were just willing to follow the, the universe. He said, fuck, I don't know. I don't even have the money. Right. I don't even have the money. But the universe has told me over and over again, you got to go see this guy. So I guess I'm going to go see this guy. That's a great place to end this thing, man. And just a, a funny synchronicity with that story. You're one of your best friends on the, from the Adventure Guide tour that you did. He, because you came on my first podcast, the Mindful Warrior podcast, oh, that's right. with Nate, and you were ta- telling your story there, and we get an email to our podcast email, and it's from one of your best friends. Right. I, what's it, what was his name? I forget his Bert, name. Rob Smith. Yes, Robert Smith. Yeah, but as and we he, call him. He goes, hey, fellas. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I'm listening to it the other day. Somehow, I've got a lot of fans in Australia. It's got to be because of you, man. Mate, I don't know how it's possible because I'm not on social media much, so I don't put it out there. It's so weird. It's so funny. And he says, and I'm listening to this episode, and it's my old mate, Kirk. (laughs) I hadn't spoken to him in years. It's so funny. In years. I hadn't spoken to him in a good couple of years, but we were thick as thieves back in those early adventure days. So great to hear from him. Oh, that's amazing, man. It's amazing. A great spirit with a lot of laughs. Dude. Nature. Yeah, nature. Any kid out there listening to this and you're not sure what you want to do with your life, mm. go walk about. Oh. Go that's what they about. say, right? That's go what they overseas. Say. Go, you'll always regret it if you don't. Go overseas. Make it up as you go along. Go and do a course where you learn how to raft rivers and build lean-tos and mm. the survive in the woods. Go and work on a farm. Yeah. Just go, guys. Come on. You owe it to yourself. Yep. You can't be the person you want to be unless you have a chance to go to the furthest horizon, see the lay of the land, and then come back. Yeah. It's the alchemist. You learn that yep. you know, the treasure is in your backyard all along. Right. You're never going to find the treasure until you go away. Yeah. Go walk about. It's called walk about for a reason. Make yep. it up. Australians are better at that, I think, because basically we're convicts. And we just go, <laughs> fuck it. We're fucked anyway, so we might as well just go and do something we love. Fuck it. Walk out into the outback. Right, and you're expected as a kid coming out of high school, you're going to defer from college or uni or whatever you're doing. You're just going to go and make it up. Yeah. Go overseas, work in a bar, just do whatever it takes. Yeah. Go on the adventure. And they go, you know what? Australia really is the lucky country. We get a chance to come on back home. That's cool. It's important. And it might not even make sense to you in the moment. In fact, that's when you absolutely stop making sense. Right, right. In the sense is where it's at. In no sense. It makes no sense. That is innocence. That is the childhood way. Oh, wow, dude. In no sense. Wow. I love that. All right. That's uh, William. I talked about that for years. Innocence is where it's at. Dude, thank you. Mate, always good to hang out with you. (laughs) So good, man. I could spend all day with you. We joked earlier that if my wife ever kicks me out of the house, you got a room for me. And if I come live with you, I might never go back. <laughs> <laughs> the girls might end up moving here. <laughs> yeah, the girls will just we'll, we'll move out here into Venice, into your bungalow. Um, dude, thank you, man. This is a treat. This is a real treat for me. And I know that my audience is going to love it. So thank you. God, you're welcome, mate. 
Uh, all right, everybody. Oh, well, a bit of a plug, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finally have Absolutely. a website. Um, go to naturalsuccess.com for William Whitecloud's work. Chris Barkway, the golf magician in Australia. Um, myself, theluckbubble.com. You can see uh, some stuff there about how I am available to teams and consultancies and um, the Magic Muse content creation, a whole bunch of stuff there. So Awesome. And that'll all be in the show description, too. Golf. So people can click right through to that to contact you and all that good stuff, my brother. So, hey, everybody, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you guys got as much out of this conversation as I did. As always, I greatly appreciate your support and your listenership. If you enjoy this show, please, it's the greatest show of gratitude and the greatest gift you guys can give back to me is to rate and review this show on apple to subscribe to share it with your friends if you think there's a specific episode that a friend or family member would get a lot out of and you share it with them that's that's amazing and that does me wonders so thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of the ebb and flow podcast until next time i'm out of here peace